so this morning, we're going to talk about love your enemies, right? So I think we're going to start this morning um, by just reading those verses that the video uh, alluded to. So we're going to read Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 46. And Jesus said this, You have heard that it was said, Love your enemy and hate your enemy. Uh, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So we're going to look at uh, a few of these verses and, and just break these three verses down and, and see what it means to us. In verse 43, he said, um, sorry, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. Where did Jesus get uh, this thing? He said, you have heard it said. And the first one, love your neighbor, was a command in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. Uh, If you're in a Bible reading plan, you might be in the middle of Leviticus. But he says, do not seek revenge or... Or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. We've, we've heard this, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. But then the, uh, he said, hate your enemy. Well, actually nowhere in the Old Testament where it says you hate your enemy. You should hate your enemy. But there is uh, examples that people could um, come to that conclusion. For example... In Deuteronomy chapter 23, Moses is telling the Israelites uh, before he uh, dies of old age. And he reminds them of this He's in verse 3. No Ammonite or Moabite or any of their descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord, not even in the tenth generation. Uh, this goes back uh, uh, in Ammon and Moab when the Israelites were traveling. They wouldn't let them through their land, and they wouldn't give them bread or water. They wouldn't sell them bread or water. And so he's saying, hey, they, uh, they mistreated us. So none of the assemblies, in fact, in verse 6, he says, do not seek a treaty of friendship with them as long as you live. And that's holding a grudge, right? That guy didn't let me walk through his property. The heck with him then, right? He can, I'm not going to be his friend ever. Now, Jesus said, you have heard it said. What have you guys heard said as it relates to your neighbor, your enemy? Do any of these things sound familiar? What did you hear growing up? What were you taught? Right? Like family ties, right? You got to love your family no matter what. That's what I was growing up like. We're family. Families, you know... Blood is thicker than water, and all these kinds of things, right? Anyone else have heard that growing up, right? Never, huh? But then it was like, hey, somebody from the outside, same like me, somebody does you wrong, they're cut off, right? I, am, I, am I the only one who grew up being taught these things? Okay. Oh, yeah. It's a family service. We can nod. Like, like you do me wrong, I'm going to do you wrong. Right? Like this, this kind of uh, uh, grudge um, going after you, gonna, you're going to get retribution. If anything, nope, uh, you proved yourself untrustworthy, we can't be friends anymore. 
right? And so it could be from the extreme of just going out and doing somebody else harm or just, I'm not talking to that person anymore. There's no way we can ever be friends, right? And this is, um, I mean, this was popular thought process when and where I was growing up. I think there's a common, uh, common thought there amongst uh, people. And it was here too. See, the Moabites and the Ammonites, they were different. They were outsiders of Israel. They represent a different genre of people, a different group of people, a different race of people. And it was like, nope, we, you're, we're not going to befriend that, that group or that race of people because they mistreated us 10 generations ago. But Jesus turns this around. So not that the scriptures were taught that, but when he says, you have heard it said, uh, within their people group, they were probably saying, hey, those Moabites, they mistreated us back then. We're not having anything to do with them. Like, uh, and we know this is true even when Jesus was walking because he went through the Samaritan village and his disciples were like, what are you doing? We're going through Samaria? Come on, we don't go through Samaria. These are the Samaritans. So we know this kind of activity happened, which we is very popular in our day today, right? People who think different than us or look different than us or live different than us, we can't have anything to do with them. Anyway, let's move on. Verse 44, Jesus says this, But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I mean, isn't it just like Jesus always taking it up a notch? I mean, there's the law, and then there's what Jesus says. And you can uh, can believe it, that Jesus is going to ask you and I to do more than the law requires. Jesus never said, hey, the law is given, and that's your standard of behavior. We know, whether it's biblical or community laws, that the law is the minimum required. Right? That's like The law is just the minimum behavior to keep everybody relatively calm. But Jesus is like, no, no, no. Uh, I'm not asking you to live the minimum. I'm asking you to take it up a notch. In fact, that's what Jesus requires of us. He asks of us. Is, and if you read throughout Scripture, you see this like, It is said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you, if you even look at somebody. It is said, but I tell you. So he's always calling us to a higher place. Like, don't just live at the bare minimum. It's just like Jesus to do that. Inviting us to be more than what society expects. Verse 45. That you may be children of your Father in in heaven. So, He says, hey, when you live this way, you show yourself to be God's children. So when we love our enemies, which, who are our enemies? I love how uh, Jesus says, you know, love your neighbor, and somebody says, well, who's my neighbor? And he goes on the the Good Samaritan, and he says, this explains your neighbor, but nobody ever said, like, who's my enemy? Who's an enemy? An enemy really is anybody who uh, is against you or that you perceive is against you. Right? Because sometimes people aren't against us and we just think they are. 
But anyone who sets themselves against you is an enemy. And that can be in sports. They're your enemy while you're on the field. Uh, I mean, I can remember playing sports and the coach being like, hey, you guys might be best friends, but when you're on the field, you are enemies. Like, okay. Like, trying to figure that out, especially in, like, football or those kinds of things. So it could be just, hey, temporarily in in, uh, competition. Right now, they're my enemy. I'm trying to beat them. I'm against them. But sometimes it's life. Somebody who's trying to prevent you or hold you down or hold you back or who's always coming at you like, man, this guy, this person, this... What's their deal? So an enemy is anyone who's, who is, sets themselves against you, uh, even if it's your perception. So when we love our enemies, when we love those who are or who are, seem to be against us, uh, Jesus is saying that we act like God. That we literally, because that's who God is. And then John gives us some examples what did, what, did he, uh, what did he say in the, in the video? He gives us, he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. When I was a kid, I, I thought that was contrast, like, because I liked the sun and I hated the rain. But what we realize is that uh, the sun and water are, are two of the things necessary for life. If we don't have the sun, uh, we die. If we don't have water, we die. And so, what the scripture is saying is, is, hey, God does good to everybody, regardless if they're good or evil. He gives them what they need, whether they're good or evil. He doesn't say, oh, because you're so evil, you're cut off. You're, you need to be mistreated. He He still supplies them with sun. He still supplies them with rain and all the other systems of this earth. So love seeks the good of all people, regardless of moral, religious, racial, etc., 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 regardless of these distinctions. Love seeks the good of all people, regardless of the circumstances or the results. He's... I'm going to make some assumptions that, that in certain areas we think similarly or have thought similarly in the past. But um, sometimes I want to know the result before I start loving somebody I don't like. Right? Like, is this going to be worth it? Right? Like, if I'm going to put in a little time and effort and sacrifice and these kinds of things, you know, is this person going to become my friend? Am I going to at least get something restored or they're no longer going to be against me, like, there, sh- there should be a result. Or the circumstance needs to be right, because if it's the wrong circumstance, it doesn't matter. Uh, but the love that comes from God does good regardless of the circumstance or the result. And that's what Jesus is saying in his example of God the Father. He sends rain on the, on the good and bad. He sends his, gives his son on the good and bad. So, Jesus gives us these examples of God himself. Are there other examples? Well, there's Jesus. Jesus himself, in Luke chapter 23, verse 34, Jesus, while he's hanging on the cross, says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. So, Jesus was hanging on the cross for the good of those who were crucifying him. 
That's purely, I mean, they're being purely evil. He's being purely good. Now, granted, he was dying for the sins of the entire world, but it included the people who were sacrificing, who were, who were killing him. So he was doing, he was, he was offering his life as, as a sacrifice for all people, regardless of where they were. In fact, Romans chapter 5, verses 8 through 10, Paul explains it. But God demonstrates his own love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's what? What does it say? God's what? enemies. And you say, well, I was never God's enemy. Um, Did you ever find yourself in a position where you were against God or God's will? You were classified as an enemy. You were against what God wanted or intended or desired. At some level, you were an enemy of God we need to dispel of the notion like I'm a good person. An enemy is anybody who's against. And, and certainly before you invited God into your life, uh, the way you lived was against God and against God's plan. And so you had set yourself against him. And he said even at this position, when you were against him, he died for you. He demonstrated his love by dying for you even when you were his enemies. He says, how much more will we be reconciled? Shall we be saved through his life? So he's just contrasting the two here. Like, hey, if God died for you when you were an enemy, how much more are you going to live for him? But he's pointing out that we were enemies. Jesus provided a pathway of salvation for all people, offering forgiveness before we realized we were against him. An example. Another example, Luke chapter uh, 10, verses 25 through 37 are the story of the Good Samaritan. I don't want to read the entire thing. Um, But in verse 33 through 34, it says this, But a Samaritan who was an enemy of Israel, as he traveled, came where he saw the man, an Israelite. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. How many know, uh, it didn't matter if this man was his enemy or not. The man needed, he took care of him. In Acts chapter 7, verse 60, Stephen, one of the uh, deacons in the church, was preaching the gospel, and they, they didn't like what they heard, and they dragged him outside, and they began to stone him to death. It says, Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said these things, he fell asleep. And we don't mean fell asleep like woke up eight hours later. So here he is being stoned, and he acts like Jesus. And he says, don't hold this sin they're doing against them. He's He's demonstrating, he's asking for their good, even though they're being his enemy. And then lastly, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 15, Paul writes this. 
Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. What are we talking about here this morning? What we see here is, uh, is God choosing to love us even when we're against him. It's Jesus choosing to love us even when we were against him. It's examples in scripture like the, uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan, like Stephen, like Paul's teaching of saying, hey, uh, do good to people and it doesn't matter the circumstance or the results. Love people regardless. Neighbor or enemy. This is difficult. It's difficult. And, and the video wasn't lying. When, when, when he said, hey, Jesus was saying, if somebody smacks you, let them smack the other side of your cheek. He said, that would be a difficult thing for the Israelites. I'm like, it's a difficult thing for Americans. Or any people group, right? Somebody slaps me, my first reaction isn't like, oh, hey, okay, you know? Like, or force me to carry their stuff, and I'm like, you know what, I just want to do double what you're asking, you know, you're telling me to do. It's, it, it, there's, in all of us, the source of this is our trust in God. You say, well, what do you mean my source of, of loving even my enemy is trusting God? Because here's the thing, when we've been mistreated, when an injustice has been, been done against us, we want to make sure that they're held accountable. They need to pay. They need to make it right. And when we choose to love them anyway, what we're saying is, God, we trust you're going to handle this and make this right. My job isn't to enforce or to make this right or hold a grudge or whatever. That's your job. It's in your hands. I trust that if they stole this from me, that you're going to provide my needs. You're going to hold them accountable. If they're withholding something from me, Lord, you are my source of supply. Uh, if they're not being friendly to you, Lord, uh, I trust that uh, you'll change these things. It's a trust in God instead of when we choose to hate our enemies or, or we choose revenge or to retaliate, we're taking matters into our hands. You say, well, how is this even possible? I never feel like loving the people who have set themselves against me. And, and here's the crux of it. The love that God, uh, that comes from God that he's asking us to do is not a feeling nor an emotion. It's a choice. You say, well, I don't really feel like loving them. I don't blame you. You don't have to feel like loving them. You just choose to anyway. It's a choice. It's an action. It's not a feeling. It's not an emotion. It's an active choice. We, love is a choice. You say, well, why should I choose to love my enemies? What's the purpose in that? Let me start off by telling you this. Nowhere, nowhere in this good book does God promise us that by loving your enemies, you will turn them into a friend or that they will become a Christ follower as a result? There is no promise. Now, uh, that may happen because of your love for them, 
And often it does. Most of the time, uh, we come to the Lord because we see something different. That, that uh, hey, that person should have been this way, and it, it alerted uh, us to, hey, they're living differently. They should have mistreated me, or they should have this. And we're alerted, and God uses that. But if you're, our motivation cannot be the only reason I'm loving them is so that they'll become my friend. Or the only reason I'm loving them is so that they become a Christian. Because there's no promise that that's going to happen. There are many examples in Scripture and in life where evil people were loved on by Christian people and they still remained evil. So then your question is, well, what's the point then? Why do I go through this and love my enemies or love those who are against me? And here's the thing. When we choose to be like God by doing good to people, despite the circumstance or results, we're being like God. When we love our enemies, we are being like God, which is what Jesus said. Then you will be children of the Father. And when, when we choose to be like God, this this shows the world that we're children of God, that we're different, and it also brings glory and honor to God because we're being like him. If you're a parent here today, uh, sometimes some of the greatest uh, uh, honors we can feel is when our children grow up and, and are, are like us in our positive attributes. Right? Maybe they're very generous, and you're like, oh, I'm so proud. Or maybe they follow in your footsteps um, in their vocation, and they're successful in that way, and there's such a, just feels good. Like, it, it, you feel honored by the fact that, that you've taught them well. They're, they're emulating you. Now, when, when they're emulating our negative characteristics, that's a whole other story, but the positive ones, it, there's a sense of honor for you, and people are like, hey, man, the apple didn't fall far from the tree. God, that person, that, that young, young, uh, uh, young man, young woman, is what it does for us is it proves us to be children of God because we're acting like God. And then it brings honor and glory to God in the world around us because we say, hey, this is how God acts. And then people look at God differently. Church, love is not an emotion. It's not a feeling. It's an active verb. It's a choice. And you say, I choose to love. I choose to love the people who are against me. Now, we can have a whole other day on what is love. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Go, uh, go home and read it. Uh, it's not a mushy, gushy, emotional, huggy-feely kind of thing. That's not the love we're talking about. We're talking about a choice to do good to people. That person cut me off. Guess, okay, let them go. I'm not going to chase them down and ride their bumper and try to cut them off. Right? <laughs> I have... I'm bearing my soul to you. Those are some of the things like, oh, I can't believe they got one over on me or somebody, whatever. Just the, anything that 
we just seek people's good, regardless. You know where this plays out? When people who are totally not like you, and, and they've been mistreated, and you stand up for them. We all have a category of people that we really don't understand, don't like, they're irritating to be around. We, we, we all have those people in our lives. It could be a neighbor, a coworker, family member, whatever it is. Like, right? Like, just, oh my word, it's just draining to be around this person. And sometimes our mindset can be when something bad happens, and well, they got to come to them. They're just such an idiot. But God would say, no, 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 no. What was done to them is wrong. You need to go stand up for them. So, kids, when you're at school, and you see somebody that you don't like being bullied, what do you do? I'm like, huh, kind of happy. They're getting bullied. No. No, you go, hey, hey, no, no, bullying's wrong. Leave them alone. Now you're loving like God in heaven. When the neighbor who just is irritating to you gets taken advantage of by the other neighbor on the other side, you go, no, that's not right. I'm going to make things right. In church, in our culture today, we need this now more than ever. As there are so many dividing lines and polarizations of all sorts, and, and we all fall in, on one side of the line or not in our own feelings and our own opinions, that the people who disagree with us, who seem to be against us, or any of those other kinds of things that you better make make sure that you're not mistreating them or that you're doing good to them, that you're fighting for injustice for them if they're being mistreated or, or you're not thinking it's a license for you to just get one over on them because, uh, hey, they're an enemy. This is what we're talking about. It's a choice. And this is what God was talking about. When we choose to do good to people, all people, regardless of the circumstance, regardless of the results, we prove ourselves to be God's children and we bring glory and honor to his name. That's loving our enemies. So this morning, I'm gonna, I could get super preachy on this, and I'm not going to because it's a family service. We wanna, so the card that you got, just want to pull it out. There should be a, if you don't have a pen, there should be a pen in the pew in front of you in the pocket. And I just want you to think of somebody who's against you. A particular person, a people group, whatever. It's just under your skin. And I want you to write in here one thing you can do to love them. What can you do to respond to Jesus' teaching this morning to love your enemies. How, how can you demonstrate love to that person, that individual, that group, that, whatever it is? You don't have to put your name on it. But at some point before, you can do it in a minute during the announcement video. You can do it during the game. You can do it now. I want you to fold it in half and I want you to come up and give it as an offering to the Lord. 
Drop it in the offering and say, Lord, this is my offering to you. Because you loved me when I was against you, I'm going to love this person while they're against me as an offering to you.